Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 through 20. Would you all stand with me? Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a, a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of the Lord. Join me as we continue to worship, as we pray. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here indeed be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's a little less than 20 years ago, pretty close, middle of August, packed up all my belongings that I had acquired in four years of undergrad in Chicago and got the U-Haul ready. And it began to rain, and I was driving that truck, heading over to this place that I've never been before. Having spent four years of this close-knit, really supportive spiritual family, I was really afraid and scared of what this thing called Beaver Dam, Wisconsin was about. And as I was driving, I was like, wow, this is one of the scariest things that I've ever done on my own. Actually, maybe when I was 18, door-to-door sales, that was probably worse. But I'm driving and telling God, God, I trust you. I trust you. And I was scared. And after driving for about, it was a three-and-a-half-hour drive. It took about four-and-a-half, five hours because of the rain. God, in the middle of the trip, just began to just reassure me. Paul, I am with you. I 
I didn't know anyone in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. I didn't know what church I was going to attend. All my friends were already scattering away, hundreds or thousands of miles away. And, you know, this is before cell phone days. I couldn't call in the way that we can call now, before we had Wi-Fi. If I wanted to get online, I had to put down my two-gig hard drive laptop and put this thing called PCMCI card and hook a telephone into it and get my top speed of 56K and wait till it dials out. I remember feeling alone and just afraid. I just expected more when I arrived in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, at least spiritually. I expected more from God. I was spiritually hungry and I started just looking, asking people about churches and found one church that people really spoke highly of. There was an evangelical free church and I started going for a couple of weeks and then I was like, I need more, I want more. And I joined a small group and we were going through a book on spiritual disciplines and I attended making time during my busy schedule as a high school history teacher in private boarding school where you have little free time because everything is either, you know, you're doing teaching, coaching, dorm duty, And as life became a little bit busy, I couldn't go one week, two weeks, and I felt kind of bad, and I also felt a little weird because with all the effort that I was putting in, I was like, man, it's like, do they notice that I'm not coming? And for me, I don't wait. I I said, I'm just gonna call my small group leader. And I call him up and say, you know, what's been going on, and it was one of the saddest experience in my life to hear from my small group leader no tone of, oh, we missed you, oh, you know, but it's like, oh, really? And kind of like, that was it. That, you know, I couldn't come and and I kept asking God, like, is this way you really want me to be? found another local Presbyterian church that some of the coworkers were going, and I don't know if it's just because I was the only Asian, but it's like I was like invisible. It's like, hello, going out of my way to greet people, and I had this assumption, God setting up something great, and I had an idea of what great spiritual life was, and failing to realize that spiritual wilderness is often part of that process that God thinks of as sanctification. I was confused, though. I was young, wondering if God made a mistake, wondering if I made a mistake. Did I hear right? It was pretty disheartening because when you take a leap of faith or steps of faith, thinking that this is the promised land that God has for you and you come to the promised land, it doesn't seem so promising. It's really disheartening. And maybe some of us, maybe some of us are going through something like that today. As we are taking steps of faith, hearing God's promises for us and coming to those places to realize like, 
What is this? This passage that we come to comes right after the, the famous step of faith that Abram took, being called out of the city of Haran, leaving what's familiar, packing everything, heading over to this place that God hasn't shown yet, but God promises blessings, fame, and descendants that he has none of. And when he finally comes to this promised land, it's like, there's nothing that seems promising at all. In fact, this is like worse famine that they've seen in a long, long time. What kind of God sends people to promised lands that can't even sustain them? Or does he? We've been learning through Pastor Eugene's sermon series on the life of Joseph, how when things are tough, guess what people of Canaan territory, what they do, they they head down to Egypt. Because unlike most of these regions really rely on river system or rain, um, Egypt had Nile that flooded just regularly, and they weren't as dependent on rain as other territories would. So Abram now is in a position to either risk death by starvation and leave this promised land or just move down to Egypt. Leave the land that God has shown him and brought him to. The logical, the reasonable thing that the Canaanites did was to go down. Yesterday's success does not guarantee my success of faithfulness and trust today or tomorrow. And we clearly see this. Amazing how he soared so highly by taking this risk. And now, right after, he falls. He hasn't learned yet that God makes us wait. Where do we get this expectation from? This immediacy. Well, it's definitely not from Scripture. It's our culture, right? We can't wait. I can't wait. When Abram arrives at the promised land, he calls on the name of the Lord at Bethel. But as he sees this seemingly not so promising promised land, he doesn't cry out to the Lord, and he just goes down. His instinct for self-preservation kicks in, and he goes. When we sin, when you lie, you can't help but lie again to cover your tracks. When you don't trust God and you take that step of self-preservation, your sinfulness kicking in, naturally that flesh drives you even more. And in the beginning, he wasn't able to trust that God would provide and for his family, now he can't even trust that God would keep his life safe. He compromises his wife's sexual integrity and her liberty and tells her to basically deceive the rulers of Egypt so that his life will be spared. What man does that? When God called Noah, Noah was deemed righteous and God calls 
Bible speaks nothing about Abram's character. And for one thing, for sure, you see something like this, it's like, wow, clearly, Abram is not a righteous man. Something is deeply wrong and broken with this man to do what he did. But I'm just reminded so much like Abram, finding myself doubting his promises, doubting his provision, doubting his protection. Pursue that path of reason without inquiring God, asking, do I need to stay, God, or do I need to go? The old self-preservation mode kicking in. And I might, and maybe you too, reason that I'm doing this for my family when more often than not, it's more about me and my comfort than the well-being of those that I say I love. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Sarai, to agree to this, and finding herself in a harem, now becoming just one of the concubines or wives of many in Pharaoh's household, now can't even leave, going to be forced to have relations with this The book of Genesis, the book of Scripture, is just tells us again and again the human condition of sinfulness. When we lose sight of God, when we lose sight of God's promises, we can't help but just become protective of ourselves because we are choosing not to trust the one who truly can protect, who truly has the best interest. Everything that Abram basically predicts will happen in Egypt happens. They recognize the beauty of his wife. They notice her. They take her. They think he's not her husband. They bless her with so much material wealth. He is spared, and she is in the court. God is faithful when we are faithless. There's nothing more basic than that. That scripture speaks again and again and again. But when God's plan, God's promise becomes, comes in jeopardy, he intervenes and he inflicts this Pharaoh and his household so that his plan of blessing the world through Abram and his wife Sarai would not be compromised. Pharaoh is clearly much more righteous than Abram here. So they are now let free to go I imagine the conversation between the two, or perhaps the lack of. Abraham has gotten everything that he wanted. 
so it seems. More wealth, life is sound, safe. Do you wonder why this family has so many problems? When you continue to read scripture, dysfunctions, mistrust, deceit, lying, favoritism, it's like two separate teams. I can't blame Sarai, actually. How can you trust your husband after something like this? It's going to take a lot of time, and it's going to take a lot of proof to show that he has changed. But you know what is really sad? This is not the last time. You fast forward to chapter 20. Virtually the same incident happens with another king, Abimelech, where Abram now compromises his wife again. You know what is the scariest thing? I know Pastor Eugene mentioned this um, before. We talk about our discontentment toward our family of origin, how it never be. But the sins of the generations get passed. Scripture talks about the fourth generation. And Isaac, the very own son in chapter 26, guess what he does? And I have a feeling that this is probably not the only time that it happened. Abram does it twice in the Old Testament. Isaac is only attested to once. But I wonder how did Isaac end up doing the very thing that his father has been doing? Probably perhaps... He's seen it. When his father was under duress for his own self-protection, preservation, risking the life of his mom, and now him doing the very thing with his wife, Rebecca. Genesis is about this brokenness of humanity. And yes, at the end of the day, when we are faithless, God is faithful. But in reading through these the larger story, you can't help see these small stories. I mean, God is the main character, but the smaller story of Abram and his descendants, you, you know clearly that this is wrong. It shouldn't be this way. And we come to realize it is wrong, and God is doing something to make this right. And that's what we celebrated a couple of weeks ago, the Easter Sunday. The resurrection power, while we go into self-preservation mode, the God that we worship does not go into self-preservation mode, but in, in fact gives of himself to the extent of dying on the cross, overcoming sin and death. He is, as Ben spoke about yesterday, about shalom, wholeness, restoration, And it's not just about what happens when we die, not going to hell, but it's about wholeness of whole life that begins here now to eternity. Understanding the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God, it shouldn't give us a license to just, God's going to be faithful anyway. No. A deeper understanding, a fuller understanding of faithfulness of God, it should give you and me greater courage to confront these dark areas of our lives because we know that we do not have to fear 
we can be bold and courageous and examine those dark areas of our family, our past, the things that's broken. Jack talked, Ben talked about the stats on the emotional health, mental health condition of the young folks and people in Britain and really heartbreaking to hear, but I wonder how many of us are perhaps also like that, but either unaware or just afraid to just get into those painful areas. I can't help but be, feel convicted that God, doesn't, God is not honored when we cheapen his grace with his faithfulness, but seek holiness and wholeness because we know that he is a faithful A couple of years ago, I started a journey of my own because I knew what was at stake. Stakes are high in that I'm gonna repeat and my kids are gonna see and they're gonna just pick up. And I was already seeing those things. What's at stake is that I'm gonna leak well, things are going to just leak out of me, and the way I relate to people that I love, that I serve, they're going to just receive that. But I believe that when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the grave, overcoming the power of sin and death, he has made the way so that we can pursue holiness without fear anymore. We can seek wholeness without being afraid because we have a God who is faithful when we are faithless. We don't have to wonder what happens if I fail. I wrestle with anger for quite a bit. And despite my journey of wanting to and growing in self-awareness, um, it leaks out, especially when I'm under duress. It leaks out the most to the people that I love, like my wife and my kids. And these caustic, biting words come out. And like, why am I doing this? I thought to myself that if, you know, I can work on it, try to change, but you know, like 10, 12 years is a long time, and how long do you keep on trying on your own, doing the same thing, and expect a different result? I think they have a word for that, right? And by God's grace, I was able to step out in faith and seek Christian counseling Christian therapy, because I, I wanted this to stop. Refuse the curse of sin to just pass to the next generation. I haven't arrived, as my wife could probably attest to, but I'm trudging along this journey of becoming more self-aware and seeking help from people who are better equipped to help me and us in that 
pursuit of holiness and wholeness, the true shalom that God has availed through his son. I thought for the longest time, you know, like my first sermon, I spoke about my painful memories by sharing testimonies of what happened. I have worked through. I'm okay. I have shared my testimony so many times, but that was just the beginning. Telling my story is not the same as working through why these things are triggered and how they flash back to those experiences when I was physically, verbally, mentally abused. And that was a couple of months, maybe a little less than a dozen sessions of working through a Christian therapist who was able to walk with me. And last year, as I was transitioning out of my church of 15 years, um, I went through a lot, a deep sense of loss. Um, and depression and resentment and a lot of other things. I didn't know what church I was going to go to afterwards, but I, I knew that I didn't want to take any of this and bring it wherever I was going because it wouldn't be good for any church and for myself either. So mustering off enough courage to find, this time was a different therapist because the other one um, wasn't working anymore. Going out of my way, looking for someone, finding, giving a try, and trying another person. Because I knew this was important. And I knew that God wanted this for me. God didn't want me to stay depressed. God didn't want me to stay resentful. God didn't want me to stay at the state of loss, defeated, deflated. No, God is about wholeness, true shalom, restoration. The power of the gospel is not just about what happens when we die. It begins when we say yes. And as we invite the Holy Spirit to work in these broken areas. And since we're, I was doing this, I thought it would also be a good time to find some marriage therapy because after trying on our own for about 12 years, we have our same way of dealing with our conflict resolution. And we've tried again on our own, but again, nothing changed. Same thing happening again and again. My mode of responding when I'm angry and my wife's mode of responding, two sinful people doing the same old thing, why, wondering why the other person won't change. But again, seeing kids see what we're doing. It's like, no wonder Isaac is doing what he's doing. It's how he lived and saw his family. Maybe for some of us here, this might mean you begin to start that journey examining your life and look back to your life it might be pretty scary because you might never have done that for others 
you, you might be closer to where I was when I was deliberating about the possibility of finding a Christian therapist. You might very well know where you are and how much of help you need, like I needed, that I recognized. And perhaps God's going to prod you to take that step because God wants you to be whole. God wants our families to be whole. God wants our CGS family to become more whole. My hope and prayer is that as we grow to become more aware of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it frees you, you and me up even more. Not as a license to not care, stay in this comfortable lethargy, but be bolder, be more courageous because we are secure in knowing that no matter how faithless we are, we have a God who is faithful. And he's shown that, proven that on the cross and empty tomb that now we can freely pursue wholeness in these areas that we might never have touched or gone to. I invite you to begin by examining where you are as you become a little more aware, my hope and prayer, as I believe God also desires for us, is that we pursue holiness and wholeness with greater intensity and confidence, knowing that we have a faithful God. Let's pray. God, I thank you, we thank you that Though we are faithless, you are faithful in an amazing way. Because as critical as I can be of Abram here, I am Abram, and we are Abram. God, I pray as we bask in the beauty and the power and the amazing love of what you have done on the cross and the empty tomb, as Easter was only a couple of weeks ago, God, would you set us free to pursue holiness and wholeness, the shalom, the restoration, wholeness that you have for us. And God, for many of us, if not for some of us, that means we start looking at the way that our family has taught us how to deal with money, how we deal with conflict, how we deal with even sex, grief and, like myself, anger, what to do with emotions and where that all fits. God, may we be a people who, because we know with this absolute certainty and confidence in knowing faithful God you are, God, we would be able to pursue wholeness and holiness with greater intensity so that, Lord, when others see us being open and vulnerable, you will see glory. You will receive glory as your people become a little bit more like you. God, I know that I can't. 
but you have done what is required. And you are going to be faithful, yes, to finish what you began in us. Thank you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.